Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. And then we're going to zone in specifically on verse 10 and 11. As we discuss another rock in our lives. The rock of stewardship. Now a lot of times if you've been around church much in your life. When you hear this word stewardship it relates to what? Money. We go to passages like Matthew 25, where the parable, the story, is based around the idea of money, and so we just associate that with stewardship. But I just want to be really, really clear. Money is not the bullseye when it comes to stewardship. If you balance your checkbook and dial in your discipline on saving and giving, you can still be a terrible steward. Can I let you in on a little secret? God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. And when God gets your heart, he will use your money to build his kingdom. But God's not sitting around fretting, cooking the books, trying to figure out when you're going to get your act together on stewardship so that the kingdom of God can get back in the black. It's not happening. Rather, this concept of stewardship is how you, you are using your whole self for the glory of God. This is the rock that affects the entire jar. Around here, we use these words a lot when it comes to stewardship. Time, talent, and treasure. These three things make up everything that you have to offer back to God, as Romans 12 would call it as a spiritual act of worship. So let's redeem the word stewardship from being isolated to whatever you put in the offering this week. And let's see how we are maximizing who God has made us to be for his glory. I want to read the whole passage in context as we begin, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It seems like a good place for a prayer. Let's pray. God, everything belongs to you. It's your glory. It's your dominion. It's your world. We're just living in it, God. You give us the grace to do it. So Lord, I pray as we look at this text that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives. God, that we would not come and just sit and listen and walk out. God, that we would soak this in and be wrung out for your glory being good stewards of your grace, we pray. Amen. So before we narrow the scope and begin talking about the how to steward God's grace, let's get a clear understanding of why we should steward God's grace. Look at it at verse 7. The context for this whole part of this passage is, the end of all things is at hand. Now Peter is not walking around being a doomsayer, carrying his signs, shouting that, the world is ending. Rather, he's 
pretty consistent with what the disciples had heard from Jesus all throughout his ministry. He told them that he was going to prepare a place and then he was coming back very soon. And they had tried to press Jesus to be more specific. And he told them that that's not for you to know. But be ready. Be alert. Keep your shoes on. When John is given the vision of what is to come in the book of Revelation, he says that the end will come in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. That sounds pretty sudden to me. And can you imagine if Jesus had given a specific date? And it was this Thursday. We would all be running around frantic, like every stereotypical movie of people who find out that the asteroid is coming and the world's about to end. We would just do whatever we wanted. It would be so terrifying. Can you imagine if we knew the date, but it was 30 years from now? I'm good. I got 30 years till this thing ends, man. I'll figure it out. I'll become a good steward around year 29. Rather, Jesus left us in this state of dependent urgency of this truth that we are one day closer to Jesus returning than we were yesterday. So the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, whenever there's a therefore in scripture, you should ask the question, what is it there for? The therefore is therefore a call to action. Peter is about to tell us what we should do in expectation of Christ returning any second of any day. What does he say? Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The NLT says be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Much like Jesus in the garden, don't sleep on this. Keep awake. Keep praying. And then verse 8, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We could spend our whole time this morning on that verse alone. But the motivation here is to see that because we're focused on and expectant for the return of Christ, let's not waste time being offended or holding on to every wrong that is done against us. Let's love one another earnestly and it will cover a multitude of sins because it is a picture of the gospel. We love because he first loved us. If God held on to every wrong that we did to him, where would we be? Rather, love one another earnestly. In verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's not shrouded in any way. Invite people over to your house. Feed them a meal. Give them a bed if they need it. The end is coming. Don't waste what you have been given. Give it freely. Share it with others and don't grumble about it. Don't complain. I'm really bad at this. I am 100% an extroverted introvert. I love being here with you all and talking to lots of people, but I am drained afterwards. I'm wrung out. I know some people who just get fired up after situations like this. This happens and then they go and like, let's just do this all day. Let's just all hang out all day long. That's terrifying to me. (laughs) I want to go to my house and I want to shut the door and pretend that I'm the only human being for a little while and recharge and get back to normal. But when my wife and I will have people over for dinner or just go to hang out, and if I've spent the whole day with people, if I'm being honest, I grumble. Maybe not out loud, but in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, great, more people. (laughs) Now, if you ever come over to dinner, (laughs) 
just ask me candidly, hey, are you, are you sure that you want to serve? But seriously, we can get in that place where we want our time, we want ourselves, we want to build our kingdom, it's about me, I don't have time for other people. But Peter is saying, open the doors. Even in the, even in the culture that he's speaking to, this was a problem. People were complaining. But there's something about giving of yourself, opening up your home that shows Christ's love and course corrects us back to an understanding that our lives are not our own. That Jesus is coming back. So be intentional in every situation. So now we find ourselves at verse 10. And the author is going to speak directly to the believer in the area of gifts. And he's going to use this illustration of a steward as we look at how to steward God's grace. Read verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As good stewards. What does that mean exactly? Uh, here's a visual I found this week that I thought was super helpful. Go ahead and look at the screen. So picture an owner. Can we go to that next slide? Perfect. So picture an owner, right? So you got an owner. It's great handwriting. Don't worry about it. All right, an owner, and he's got an estate, and he's got a bunch of people under his estate. So here's all these people. And his responsibility, his job is to care for these people. And as an owner, he has a lot of things that he cares for, and so he hires a steward. Maybe. Doesn't like me. Yep, okay, it's a steward. There it is. Okay, just making sure. Okay, so he hires the steward by the means by which he can give his resources and care for those people. He resources the steward with the authority and the opportunity to care for the people living in the owner's estate. So that's the steward's job to then give the resources to the people. So let's apply this situation to the spiritual. What we see in 1 Peter 4 is that because of his grace, he has gifted us, he's resourced us to be the stewards of his grace to his people. But not only that, it says that as each has received a gift. As each what? As each believer in Jesus Christ. As each has received a gift. So the beautiful thing about this passage is saying that it's not just one person's job here. It's that there's an owner and there are many stewards. And it is their job to pour out their resources on to those living in the owner's estate, which is everyone. And it goes all the way through. The problem can come in sometimes when we're like, well, I get my resources directly from God and I'm just going to keep this flow going over and over again. I don't need to worry about these other things. I'm just going to keep getting filled up and resourced by the owner. The day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that point in time where you were no longer blind, you could see you were lost and then you were found, you were given a gift. Something inside of you was unlocked. A gift was given to you, to each of us. But here's the catch. This gift was given so that you could, number one in your outline, support God's people. How to steward God's grace? The first step is supporting God's people. 
This gift was not given so you could use it all for yourself. It was given so that you could support God's people, support the church. So I had a birthday last week. Thank you everybody for the kind words. I didn't even know that half of you had my number. but <laughs> I'm really bad at texting back, but I got them. I was super blessed by them and uh, just encouraged um, by all that last week from our senior pastor, just the encouragement he gave me. And, but on my birthday, obviously, I, I received some gifts because that's what you get. I know they were my gifts because I received them. They had my name on them. It was my birthday. They were my gifts. And one of my gifts was in a direct response to a need that my wife had. Let me give you the story. So like any good Christian American couple, there's a honeydew list at our house. And uh, my wife came in one day and she wanted a, a shelf installed in this little cupboard that we had. And there was a place for a shelf and we didn't have the shelf. So she found this random piece of wood that kind of matched the grain of the cupboard. And she's like, hey, I need you to cut this down to make it fit as a shelf. And uh, I'm like, I can do that, you know. So I go out in my garage and I pull out my little 18-volt portable circular saw. And some guys are laughing right now. This is a battery-powered saw, okay. And uh, so I put this thing on some saw horses. I line it all up. I clamp it down. I measure it out. I'm ready to do my cut. And I start just going to town on this little, you know, one-inch thick board, solid wood board with a portable battery-powered saw. And it didn't like it really at all and uh, kind of got like two inches into the cut and the blade just stops and splinters everywhere and I'm like oh okay so I'm like maybe I need to charge the battery so I charge the battery I come back the next day I do it again same result and you know I'm a guy so instead of going in the house and saying honey I need to ask around I need to find somebody with a table saw that will let me come over and use it I go I can't do this I don't have the right tool I need a new saw I need a new saw <laughs> if you want me to do this I have to buy a saw it's the only solution there is so And so, for my birthday, I get a gift card to a home improvement store. <laughs> and I go, and I pick up a brand new laser-guided, corded, 15-amp circular saw. Right? And I, like Tim the Toolman Taylor, just like grunting in the store. Right? Come home, I plug this thing in, I line it up, you know, turn it on, zoom, zip through the corner. I walk in the house, kind of give her a look as I walk by her. And, Go over to the cupboard, fit perfectly in, and I walk out, and I'm like, I'll be in the garage if you need me. <laughs> Putting away my saw. And she's playing along. She's like, oh, thank you, honey, so much. I could have never done that without you. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're so good looking. Okay, she didn't say that. But I get back in the garage, and it, like, hits me like a wall. I go, wait a second. I was just conned into getting a birthday present for something my wife wanted me to do. There's no circular saw on my birthday list. There was, I, it was a direct response. I'm not a, I don't do this for a living. I'm going to use that saw like four times. I just wasted a birthday present on it, right? And it just hits me, and I'm like, why, why did I get this gift? Why did I get it? To support my wife. To use it. Now, imagine if, if an opportunity came up and somebody was like, man... They're smarter than me. They're like, man, I have this project. I could really use a circular saw. And my wife says, hey, Brent, you have one of those, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, it's my gift. Like, it was given to me. And if I want to use my gift, it means I have to, like, get it out and I have to plug it in. And that's a lot of work. Can't you just use, like, find, like, a knife or something? Or somebody else has one. Somebody, you'll figure it out. Really? 
Really, that's how you want to repay the gift giver, right? If I was the one giving you that gift and I found out that that's how you were with the gift, I would come over to your house and be like, never mind, I'm taking it back. We need to be generous with our gifts. We need to support God's people. But so often we think that our gifts that each one of us have received from the owner, from the ultimate gift giver, are for us to enjoy, for us to make our lives better or more comfortable. And the truth we need to realize is that we are called to support God's people, to serve one another as what? As stewards. Stewards of God's varied grace. I love that word varied because the gifts do vary. Now the temptation in this passage is is to read the word gifts and that they're varied and want to run over to 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 and like, okay, give me the list. What are the gifts? I want to see the check boxes. I want to take the test. Ooh, I got mercy and administration. What did you get? Ooh, serving? That's great. (laughs) No, I I make fun, but spiritual gifts can be helpful, but they're not in the Bible. Paul didn't write 1 Corinthians 12 because he just sat down and answered 20 questions of sometimes, not always, a few times. Like, he didn't take that test and like, okay, here are the results of spiritual gifts. No, you want to know where the gifts are identified? In the church. People were using their gifts to support the church and it was identified as, this is not you, this is the Holy Spirit. This is God working through you. He gave you that gift. The danger with running to the list of the gifts all the time and seeing which ones we have and which ones we don't is that our flesh can get in the way of that. And we start to desire or do things in an area that we aren't gifted in because we somehow think it's better. We need to stay in God's gift. How to steward God's grace? Stay in God's gift. Don't think of the gifts in a list in any particular order. God didn't design them to be that way. If anything, we've messed it up by popularizing and making some gifts achieve like a celebrity status. And if we're not careful, we can look at spiritual gifts like the mouse looks at the cookie. This was one of my favorite books growing up. And then this week, I realized how much it's messed up my generation. Because we're the mouse. No one told us to, but we identified most with the central character of the story, which is the mouse who is given the cookie. Now, if the mouse was a good steward, he would have taken that huge cookie back to his community and shared it because there's no way a mouse of his size should or could eat that entire cookie before it went stale. He doesn't need to eat the whole thing. He could have shared it. And it's not every day a mouse gets handed a cookie by a human. This isn't like a normal thing. It's not like he's getting another cookie tomorrow. Instead, the mouse sees an opportunity in front of him and he takes it. In the boldest move in the history of mice, he asks for a glass of milk. And you know the story. You know how it goes. If you don't, you can uh, borrow it. It's a quick read. But he goes on this rampage of destruction, asking for this thing and the next thing, the most preposterous thing, that anything that comes to his head that he thinks is somehow better than what he currently has, he strives for it and asks for it. And finally, at the end of it all, after ruining the poor boy's whole day in his house, like try explaining that one to your parents, the mouse did it. That's not happening. That boy's taking the fall for this. 
at the end, there's this redemption because the mouse returns and realizes he wanted the cookie all along. All of that. He saw the opportunities and wonders of all the other gifts that were available, but instead of being satisfied with what he was given, he left it behind to seek after more, only to find that none of them fulfilled him after all. Stay in God's gift because God's gift is where you will see fruit for your labor and where you will be most satisfied. Even when the glass of milk seems like maybe a natural progression of your gifting, wait until the gift giver offers it. But satisfaction in God's gifting does not mean comfortability in God's gifting. Again, we have to understand who the gift is for. Is it for me or is it to support God's people? When we believe that, we stay in the lane as much as possible because that's where the stream of God's power through us is the most effective. Friends, if you think because you're good at something and you do it all week that you should be able to take a break from it on Sundays, you are robbing the church of something incredibly special. I'm going to twist the knife here a little bit. If you work with kids and it has been confirmed in you as a gift that you can pour into, disciple, communicate to children, and you are not serving in the Harvest Kids ministry here, you are robbing those children of a God-given gift. If you love technology and you have a mind for systems and processes and you like seeing something come together and you like to work with your hands and you haven't tried to work on the production crew, the behind the scenes crew here at our church, you are robbing God's people of experiencing the benefits of your gift. Again, not comfortable doesn't mean you won't walk out of church tired. Doesn't mean Satan won't come calling with the, is it really worth it? You could have been at lunch an hour ago. They can find somebody else. What difference does it make? But what will happen is that you will realize that God made me to do this. I'm supporting God's people. I'm staying in God's gift. God will bless and multiply the fruit of that gift and continue to give you opportunities. And your legacy will be one of God's service, not of self-service. Now, I got specific there for a second as an illustration because we need to think about everything we do as an opportunity to steward God's grace. Peter's going to do the same thing. He's going to give us an illustration inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives today. Reading the text, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whoever speaks. A lot of times that's a reference to an upfront preaching, teaching, speaking role. But the last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 4 and our responsibility to reach the lost. And I mentioned the same book, 1 Peter, back in chapter 2, verse 9, where he says that we are called to proclaim his excellencies. Proclaim probably involves speaking. So when we speak, when we speak, speak the oracles of God. Oracles, fancy word for divine words. These are not your words 
These are the word. This is God's word. You want to steward God's grace in your life and pour it out onto someone else's life? Speak God's word. Speak God's word. Now we're back to the rock of meditation, right? When someone is hurting, when you see those people who bravely stood in our church a few weeks ago and said, life isn't great right now. I need support from God's people. You can support them with some random hallmark phrases or you can speak God's word. Here's what God says. Here's who God says he is and here's what God says he will do. There's power there unlike anything else and it pours out God's grace. Speak God's word. And then whoever serves. Again, this is not a loophole. This is not a get out of jail free card. We are all called to serve. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 20, 26, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then a couple verses later, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Following Christ is committing to a life of service. So as we serve, when we serve, serve in the strength God supplies. We need to serve in God's strength. I like to work out sometimes. Sometimes I hate it. But sometimes I like it enough to show up at the gym and work out. And I have the privilege of working out with a lot of people who are a lot stronger than I am. And if we were working out together and we were going to lift some weight and we were going to go for the heaviest weight that we could lift. And I got to a spot where I'm like, this is pretty heavy for me. And one of them came over and, and lifted my weight. Would it be as heavy? No. Sure, they would use some of their strength to lift it, but there would never be a question in their mind whether or not they could do it. That would be a warm-up weight for them. I thought about that this week because sometimes serving God can feel like that, where I just roll in and I'm like, I don't really have a question whether or not I can do this. I'm just going to turn my brain off and do it. I'm going to check the box and I'm going to go home. There, I served. What else do you want from me? But serving in God's strength is not like that. I have to admit to you that every time I step in front of you, I continually have to ask God to fill the gap. I don't question my calling. I don't question my gifting. I'm not looking for flattery. I question my ability to do it on my own. I need to serve in God's strength. In these past few weeks and in this role that I've been in, I've been faced with this reality of insufficiency. I feel incredibly humbled and honored to serve as a pastor here. But full disclosure, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't take some online class. I haven't read the majority of systematic theology. And yet I feel this overwhelming call on my life to communicate the truth of God's love to God's people. Instead of just disqualifying myself because it didn't add up on paper, deciding to blaze my own trail and do my own thing and use my gifts to serve myself, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of 19 and I said, God, I'm done serving myself. Whatever you want to do with me, I will do it. And he clearly said, you're going to stop using your gifts for yourself or you're going to use them for me. And he gave me 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 as a life verse. So grateful that he led me to this passage to preach this morning. 
And what did I do? I didn't, it didn't just all like magically happen. It wasn't like a magical door opened and I stepped through it and all my giftings were realized and it all made sense. Rather, I submitted myself to the local church. I plugged in. I got under some authority and I said, you speak into me, you pour into me, you help me realize what these things are. And I stand before you today saying, whatever gifts you see in me are not the result of the strength of Brent Thomas, they are the result of the strength of God. I am dependent on it. I need more of it. It can't be me. I can't rely on myself. It's right there in the text. Don't rely on yourself because here's why. There's a greater result when we rely on God. When we speak God's word, when we serve in God's strength, we see God's glory. We see God's glory. I love this. Peter says, in order that, all of this, everything we've discussed, the point of this whole thing, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who makes all of this possible. Through his sacrifice, do we even have the ability to see God's glory, to glorify him through our service and our speaking, our stewarding of his grace? And we realize our place in all of this. John Piper's ministry, Desiring God, is built upon this quote. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The day we realize that the grace we have been given to steward is not about us. The day we realize that it's not really about us, it's about reflecting God's glory is the day we understand who we really are. You want to know what your gifts are and how to use them for the Lord? Surrender them. Drop your expectations and your desires and your goals and your dreams about what you want, and that is exactly when God will be able to use you to your maximum capacity. See, the truth is, is that our life is kind of like a sponge. And that we're dropped into this world, it's full of sin, and we're pre-filled from the day we're born. We have a tendency, we incline towards the things of this world to serve ourselves, to get to the top, to make the most money, to have the greatest house and the nicest car, and to do everything you have. Every gift that you've been given is for you. And then there's a point where, where God calls us out of that. And we embrace Jesus Christ and we go through this process of sanctification, right? And God just rings us out. Removes everything that was in there that the world placed. And then this puts us in a position where God can pour into us all of his grace and his mercy and his love and his gifts. And then we have a decision again. We can stay like a sponge and just be filled, overfilled, or we can decide to be wrung out over God's people again and again and again, believing that he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it again and again and again. But you have to make that decision to be wrung out you are a sponge. 
You can sit welled up with all that God has given you or you can choose to put yourself in a position to be wrung out for his glory. Remember our illustration of the steward? The steward doesn't hold on to the resource because he wants it or because he thinks it's not good enough for the people under him. He allows himself to be depleted of those resources knowing full well that the owner he serves is faithful. Bring yourself out, sponges, and watch God work through you in ways only possible through his power. And the motivation of it all is that in everything, God may be glorified. Two applications for this rock this morning. Number one, do you know your gifts? Or is it a new concept? You have something to offer. God designed you to do it. If you don't know what it is, we can help. Staff at our church is called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If we just went around doing everything, we would be robbing the church. From experiencing your gifts, go talk to someone after the service. Find anybody with a blue name tag on and ask them what they do. If they're wearing one of those, that means they're using their gifts here today. Number two, know what your gifts are, but you aren't using them. Start today. You can mark your connect register, ways to serve. Some of you will call you this week. You can go to harvestrochester.org slash serve. Fill out a little form. Somebody will call you this week. Again, you can talk to anyone with a blue name tag about what they do here and how to get involved, and they will gladly tell you. And don't sit there and think, well, there's not, I know there's not a place for me here. If there's not a place for you here, then we're not the church. Don't live in that lie that God can't use you uniquely. Ring yourself out that God would be glorified. Let's pray. God, there is a a hope in this realization, God, that we would be in a spot where your spirit could, could speak directly, individually to each one of the, these people. God, I know that you've been specific with me this week. I pray that it would happen again. That these words would not just be words that I've read over and over again, a mantra for my life, but God, that they would be the living, breathing, active words of God that call me to live a life that is not for myself, it is for others. God, I want to place myself under the, the flow, the stream of your power and your grace. And then God, give me, give me again, Lord, an opportunity day after day, week after week, year after year to be wrung out. At the end of the day, God, as I lay my head on my pillow, I pray that I would have nothing left. Not for my sake, not so that I could pat myself on my back, but God, that I would see your glory in the lives of other believers, in my life, in this church, in this city. So God, we do, we surrender to you. We say, take all that we have, because you are more than enough. And God, when we see your glory, we see that it's worth it. We see you on the throne. 
you gave your life. You tell us that we have not yet suffered to the point of shedding our blood like you did. So God, we offer everything we have as a response. We give our time, we give our talents, our gifts, and we give our treasure. That at your name, God, at your name, the lost would be found, the blind would see, and our lives would be a life of your service, stewarding your grace, because you are exalted over all. In Jesus' name, amen.